morning. Would you please stand and join me in a call to worship, which is printed in your bulletin. The God of rushing wind and fire dwells here in our presence in this hour and every hour. God, who called all the world into being, calls forth new life in us today. God, whose spirit unites all people in a common language of love, confirms his gifts in us as we gather here. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your presence with us here today. Will you open our hearts, Father, that we can hear from you. Change us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. Those of you who are here in the sanctuary and those uh, who are with us on the streaming, uh, we're glad you're a part of worship this morning. Those who are here, let me invite you to share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship. One uh, reminder about tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll be meeting for our annual ice cream social. It's time to uh, share some food together and uh, just connect with the folks we may not have had a chance to connect to uh, and with over the course of the last year. We'll be meeting in the community room directly behind us. Come and go beginning at 6 o'clock, and uh, we'd love to see you uh, as a part of this time of fellowship and reconnecting this evening. Good evening, and welcome to You and Your Money on the Documentary Channel. This evening, we're continuing our 84-part series on the history of money. I'm Basil Coddington, your host, and with me tonight is our special guest, Dr. Penelope Morganstone. Good evening, Basil. It is a pleasure to be with you, and please call me Penelope. Thank you. Uh, So, Penelope, we've been discussing money and culture in this series, and this evening we want to focus on your area of expertise, um, how religious groups have used money in their worship practices. When ancient peoples wished to pay tribute to their god, what form did that usually take? Well, Basil, in many of the oldest faith traditions, offerings often took the form of bringing one's own children to the altar to be sacrificed. Oh, my. I... I bet that made for some awkward family conversations. (laughs) Most certainly. Junior, your grades were a bit off last quarter. Oh no, Daddy! (laughs) Fortunately, the practice of child sacrifice faded out, and the faithful began to bring the products of one's own labor as an offering. In agrarian societies, for example, one might bring fruits or vegetables. If you were a shipwright, you might bring a boat. Um, Tailors might bring offerings of clothing. I bet camel farmers found this form of offering somewhat difficult. Most certainly. All forms of animal offerings presented significant challenges because the animals often jumped out of the offering baskets. (laughs) So... Penelope, what happened next? Well, with the development of early forms of currency, giant rock tablets were often placed in the offering receptacles. Because of their cumbersome nature, however, and the enormous mass of the larger currency denominations, in big churches, this often meant hundreds of trips for the ushers back and forth. I read in your book that a serious usher shortage was the consequence in many congregations. 
Did the development of metal coins help with this problem? Yes, to a certain extent, although they could still be quite heavy. And if the offering were not taken prior to the sermon, congregants with their hands in their toga pockets, jingling drachmas and denarii, often disrupted the preaching. Ah, so that's what led to the practice of taking the offering before the sermon. Precisely. But fortunately, the invention of paper currency, or in more advanced cultures of the 18th or 19th centuries, the IOU or personal check, provided worshippers with a much more convenient and lightweight option for giving one's offering. As a result, paper currency, or promissory notes, dominated the practice of giving for centuries. But even this was not without problems. Really? Such as? Well, it was not uncommon for people to run out of cash. Mm, I could see that. With stone tablets or heavy metal coins, you knew for sure whether or not you had money with you. (laughs) But with paper, it might be impossible to tell whether or not you had any. That's right. Your kids might clean you out, and you wouldn't know it. So eventually, paper currency fell from favor among large segments of the population. What prompted currency's decline? Millennials. A new generation arose, and they soon discovered that by not carrying currency with them, they could often get their parents to pay for things. You're at the restaurant, for example. The bill comes, and the millennial child says, Oh, Dad, I don't have any cash. Can you get this and... I'll pay you back. (laughs) Exactly. Genius. But when millennials actually wished to make contributions to their houses of worship, they had a problem. This was solved with the expansion of computing technology and the Internet. Mm, Those millennials were able to provide an offering directly from their bank account. Brilliant. Yes, it was. Uh, Has this approach to giving gotten any traction? It has, Basil. The Houghton Wesleyan Church in western New York, for example, began offering such a service to its members in 2017. Uh, Did that mean that currency was no longer allowed at the church? Oh, quite the contrary. Paper currency, coins, and personal checks were still allowed for those who preferred those methods. But for those who wished to take advantage of an electronic transfer, that was available. Live animals and gifts of fruit and vegetables, along with stone tablets, were discouraged, however. Thank you, Penelope, for this fascinating history. Please join us next week for an examination of the development of the commemorative penny-squishing machine in our next installment of Your Money and You. Well, as you can see, we are offering this uh, new option of giving, of online giving, and uh, you can find out more information about that on the church website. Uh, also, one of the parts of, uh, of giving is obviously the, uh, the nature of giving with each other and being a part of the process as we take offerings here. And so we are encouraging you, if you decide to give online, that to use the, we have little cards printed in the, the rows in front of you that just simply says, I gave online. And you can drop that in the offering plate. And it just reminds us every week when we come together that uh, what we give is not just some obscure thing that we do without thinking about it, but we're a part of it as, uh, as we give together. Our first scripture reading this morning is found in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Verses 9 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. 
Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to stand for the singing of the doxology and remain standing for the prayer to follow. Father, we are grateful for your many blessings to us. We thank you now for this opportunity to give back a portion of what you've given us. Father, may you use these gifts to further your work in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Merciful God, we confess to you now that we have sinned. We confess the sins that no one knows and the sins that everyone knows. We confess the sins that are a burden to us and the sins that do not bother us because we have grown used to them. We confess our sins as a church, hesitating to love one another, to forgive one another, to give ourselves to one another like Christ. Father, forgive us. Send the Holy Spirit upon us as you did your disciples, and he may give us power to live as you have called us to live. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This morning we have the, uh, the privilege of welcoming Stacia Niver, uh, who is uh, a part of our district. She has worked at the Hamburg Church, the Western Church of Hamburg, for 14 years. The last couple of years she has been on the support staff at Jericho Road. And uh, she is about to prepare for three years of service in Bosnia-Herzegovina with uh, World Hope International. <clears throat> so we are, we've welcomed her here today. She spoke in Kaleidoscope uh, during the Sunday School Hour this morning. And uh, we, uh, we want to have a moment to pray for her. The, the work of World Hope in Bosnia centers much around education. Uh, they have an education resource center for local school teachers, English language classes, other opportunities to connect in this, this very divided Christian-Muslim region. And our missions committee has just recently uh, agreed to help support Stacia in this adventure of faith. And so we're going to ask her to come and kneel at the altar and uh, offer prayers for her. And those of you who uh, would like to gather around her, certainly missions committee people who are here, elders and others of you, who would just simply want to, uh, to let her know that you are supporting her as she uh, goes out on this venture. I invite you to come and to join us. Following the, the time of prayer with her, we will also move into a time of a wider prayer for the church, for our needs, for the worldwide church. And during that time, I want to invite those of you who would like to offer brief prayers to offer those as we pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for Stacia, for her life of commitment and service to you, and for this call that you have placed upon her. Thank you for her openness and her willingness to be responsive to your call. And we pray that you would help her now in her preparations the next few months, raise up for her a support team that she knows are behind her, praying for her loving her, caring for her. And I pray, Father, that you would help her as she makes preparations, the, the kinds of things that uh, need to be done in terms of working with governments and preparations, but also just her spirit, that uh, she would be prepared for a new place, new people, new circumstances, new work. And we pray that you would give her grace in this preparation.
on the days when she may feel discouraged, she may feel um, apprehensive, she may wonder about whether she is doing what you have called her to do, remind her of moments like these. When people gather around her and laid hands on her, prayed for her, remind her of this. And we pray, Father, that in that, in that memory, that she would know and, be, and once again have confirmed your call upon her life. Thank you for bringing her here to us, and we pray that she would remember this time and would know that we are praying for her and that we are supporting her. And we ask that you would bless her work, her ministry, her relationships in a way that is beyond today her ability to understand and comprehend. We pray for your blessings on her life and ministry. Fathers, we think about the rest of the world. We think of the, the Karengales and their ministry in Asia. We think about our brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution, especially those in Yemen, as they face great difficult circumstances. We pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them and bless them, and may they be a witness to those around them. And Father, there are other needs that we, uh, we represent and we know today, and in these next few moments, as we lift our prayers to you, hear our prayers. pray once again about terrorism and trauma in England. Pray for those families. Pray for that nation. Pray for our world. Give our leaders wisdom. Give people comfort. We pray. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our prayer. Thank you, our Father, for your call upon our sister today, the willingness to respond to, here I am, Lord, send me. We commit her to your care and bless her spiritually and keep her safe and give her an abundant ministry. We pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, hear our prayer. Pray for the Big Tree Wesleyan Church and Pastor Ingersoll. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, I lift this church, the Hilton Church, up with all 
those different changes that are going on at the college, the whole town is lifted up to you, Father. And we all keep our, our eyes on you and our hearts filled with your word. Lord, hear our prayer. Father, for all who are struggling with illness and pain, the various ways in which it comes to us, we pray for your healing grace in each person. Lord, hear our prayer. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our second scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, uh, children may be dismissed for Junior and Children's Church.
seated. Surveys are showing that there is a rising trend among people in North America. Particularly, this trend is among younger generations. Is the rising of what has been called the nuns. And I don't mean by that the uh, women who wear habits and live in convents. But people who, when the question is asked, what's your religious connection... Their answer is, I have none. And there is a rising trend of, that, of, of seeing more and more people claiming themselves to be a nun. But there is a, in my mind, perhaps a more, more troubling trend that we see among people. And these are people who don't say, I have no connection to anything religious... But people who say, I love Jesus, but not the church. These are people who say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I just don't want to be a part of any kind of, of religious institution. I, don't, I, don't, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do really with other disciples of Jesus. I've come to the place where I realize it's just me and Jesus, and that's good enough. And I've been thinking a lot about this, particularly as we come to this day, which is Pentecost Sunday. And it may not mean much to you, but it is rooted, it's actually rooted in a Jewish festival. We read about it this morning from Deuteronomy, where it's the the bringing in of the harvest. and And the word Pentecost has a connection to 50 days. And so it was often looked at 50 days from Passover to the, uh, the uh, harvest, and it was a huge celebration. It was one of the three great festivals of the Jewish faith. And people would come to, often to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate. And the reason it's important to the church is because it is on that Pentecost Sunday, when many pilgrims are in Jerusalem, that Acts 2 tells us the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in miraculous ways, and it is the birth of the church. And so the church traces its roots back to the day of Pentecost. And so this day in the church calendar is a day of remembering the coming of the Holy Spirit miraculously and the beginning of the church. And of all the days of the year, it's a day we think about the church. And when you think about what, that there are growing numbers of people who say, I love Jesus, but I'm not interested in the church, it ought to concern us. I've been wondering and asking myself, why... Why is this trend rising? Why is it becoming more and more popular for people to say, I love Jesus, but not the church? And, and I think part of it may be that we have we've so bought into an independent perspective of life, much less faith, that we don't really think we need other people. And that particularly, I, I don't want anyone else telling me how to live, what to do, what's right, what's wrong. It's, I, it's just me and Jesus. And quite frankly, that's the church's fault in many ways because we have in subtle ways and overt ways at times said to people, yeah, you, the church is good and it's important, but, you know, make your choices. 
And we downplay the, the significance of the church in people's lives. I think, there, I think some people don't really want to connect with the church because, quite frankly, they are disappointed with the church. I hear it often, people who say, I, don't, you know, I love Jesus, I don't want to be part of the church because the church doesn't seem that much different from everybody else. And maybe that's true. It, and I think that whole idea is rooted in what people see in the church, what they would say is hypocrisy, people saying one thing, doing another. And here's the honest truth. It, you're dealing with a room, a, a group of people. And when you deal with people, you're going, to be, you're going to find imperfections and you're going to find struggles and you're going to find people who fall short of our goals. And rather than acting like we don't, we, we need to embrace the reality of that even more. But I also think in, in, in the scope of that, some people get frustrated, discouraged with the church because they see the church in conflict. And they, and they watch this conflict and they watch people growing conflict and, and people grasping for power and grasping for recognition and our definitions of success. And it, and it all gets wrapped up in the sense of conflict. And quite frankly, the conflict is discouraging and sometimes surprising. But the reality is it really shouldn't surprise us because we're dealing with human beings. And we are not the first generation to deal with conflict. Just pick up the book of Acts in the New Testament, the story of the church, and you see conflict. Think about the letters that particularly Paul writes to churches. All of them basically are addressing conflict. All of them are addressing problems in the church. It has been going on since Pentecost, the birth of the church. It was going on long before that as well. But it's going on since that time because it's human beings. And as I think about the conflict in the church, one of the places that I think we tend to have conflict and we find it difficult to deal with the conflict is when we start talking about gifts and ministries. And that's at the heart of a lot of what Paul is writing to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church, he tells us in chapter 1, is, is in division. They're divided. They're divided about who they're following. They're divided about what's important, what's not important. They're divided about what it means to be successful. They're divided about all kinds of things, even things like worship and the sacraments. They're divided about And When we get to chapter 12 and Paul starts talking about gifts, we see they're divided here too. There is something about gifts, something about ministries in the church that cause divisions because we get so passionate about them. And we should be passionate about them. But sometimes our passion translates into what I'm doing is more important than what you're doing. It is something I read about years ago, uh, what a gentleman pastor called ergocentricity. He talked about the fact that egocentric people basically say, I'm more important than you are. And ethnocentric people say, my culture is more important than yours. Ergocentric people say, what I'm doing, my work, is more important than what you're doing and your work. And sometimes that is one of the, one of the points of conflict and points of difficulty in the church, we get so passionate about what we're doing, we get so passionate about the calling that we feel from God and the gifts that God's given us and we want to use them and we want to see great things happen and, and we should feel that way, 
that, but we can get to the point where we are thinking what I'm doing is more important than what anyone else is doing. It's not that what they're doing is unimportant. It's just less important. And you can see how the conflict arises. That's why Paul begins chapter 12 by saying, I don't want you, I want to talk to you about spiritual gifts. I want to talk to you about the way you use your gifts and the ministries you're involved with. I don't want you to be uninformed. But what intrigues me is that the very next thing he says is, talk, is to talk to them about how they used to be pagans and they used to worship idols and that now the Spirit has filled them and because of the Spirit in them, they cry out, Jesus is Lord. I read that and I'm thinking, what does that have to do one with the other? Because you go back to verse 4 and it goes back to spiritual gifts again. What is it? What's his point for interjecting into this passage, this talk about cursing Jesus and saying Jesus is Lord? And I can't help but believe it's connected to how we think about, how we use spiritual gifts. And it makes me wonder if Paul's point isn't this. That the intent of spiritual gifts, the intent of our ministries is to declare that Jesus is Lord. And maybe, maybe, when we get self-absorbed about our gifts and our ministries, maybe we are actually subtly saying, Jesus really isn't Lord. For us to declare that Jesus is Lord is to say that nothing's more important than Jesus is. My gifts are not more important than Jesus. My ministry is not more important than Jesus. Nothing in my life, nothing that I do, however much I want to accomplish for the kingdom, is not more important than Jesus is. He alone is Lord. And in verse 7, he talks about how we, what we do for the kingdom creates a spirit of common good. And it strikes me that maybe to declare Jesus as Lord is to have a mindset that what we want for other people is more important even than what we want for ourselves. That the gifts we use and the ministries we are involved in, they're all about the common good as opposed to how can I get recognition? How can I be successful? But rather, how can I minister to other people? How can I help other people experience Jesus as I've experienced Jesus? How can my gifts and my ministries lead people to a life of flourishing as God created us to experience? But here's what I think. The only way our gifts and our ministries are going to declare that Jesus is Lord is if we approach them and we do them in a spirit of willful, sacrificial Submission. When Paul gets to the end of chapter 31, he's talked about gifts all the rest of the way, and we didn't read all of it. He talks about gifts. He talks about gifts being like the body and, and how the different parts of the body. And he gets to the end of it, and he talks about, he gets, sort of reiterates the gifts one more time. And he gets to verse 31, and he says, Now, let me show you a way of life that is going to accomplish this. And then he begins verse 13 by saying, if I 
can do amazing things with my gifts, but I don't love, it's worthless. If I even give up my own body, but I don't love, it means nothing. It is only in the spirit of love, the spirit of sacrifice, the spirit of submission, that all that we are doing and all the gifts that we've been given, only in that spirit will we truly declare to people Jesus is Lord. Because every other mindset is going to subtly say, well, Jesus is Lord, sort of. But what I want is really more important. Being recognized is more important. Be success, being successful is more important. Making sure everybody understands that my gifts and my ministries are most important. And until we have that mindset of love, that mindset of wanting, wanting Jesus to be proclaimed more than anything else, we are missing it. Years ago, I remember hearing one of my spiritual heroes, Dennis Kinlaw, tell about taking, uh, becoming the pastor of this first church out in Loudonville, New York, around the Albany area. And things were going well, and, and if you ever had the chance to hear him preach, you know he's a great preacher. And as things were progressing, and he'd been there a few years, he began to have trouble with his voice. And it kept getting worse, no matter what he did. He went to the doctor, and the doctor said, I'm not sure what's happening, but this is serious. And he said, I, I, I began praying. He said, I was praying about it, and I, I said, Lord, you've got to heal my voice. I mean, you've called me to preach. You've got to heal my voice. And he said, one day I said to God, look, you've got to heal me because preaching is my life. And he said, it was as if I almost heard an audible voice of God saying to me, oh, really? I, I thought I was your life. And he said, you know, I, I realized in that moment that preaching was more important than Jesus. And I had to think about that differently. And he said, when I began to understand that, and God began to change my heart, he said, all of a sudden, my voice got better. It's so subtle. It's so difficult to see because we're doing good things. We're using gifts that the Spirit has given us. We're, we're practicing ministries that God has called us to. But without the Spirit of Christ, without the Spirit of love, without a willingness to, be, to sacrifice it all, we've missed it. And so if God comes to us and says, look, this ministry you're doing is really going well and it's working and, and great things are happening. But what if I say to you, I want you to give that up? Would you be willing to do it? If God says, look, this, you know, you're, this is being successful. People are seeing that. They're, they're getting it. And great things are happening. Are you, and I say to you, look, I want you to take a different kind of role that's behind the scenes that no one hardly ever sees or thinks about. 
Are you willing to do it? And that's the call of the gospel when we think about gifts, when we think about ministries. And what's fascinating is that really when you begin to, to embrace this perspective, I think what ends up happening is we become much more grateful for the gifts and the ministries that we're able to do. Because we're not seeing it as ours, we're seeing it as God's. And, and we begin to realize that, that anything good that's happened is not because of us, it's because of Him. And it creates a spirit of gratitude. And in that spirit of gratitude, we start noticing what other pe- all the things other people are doing, not just what we're doing. And we start giving thanks, not just for the gifts we have, but the gifts that other people have. And not just the ministries that we do, but the ministries that other people do. And that's what Paul is talking about when he, in the rest of this chapter when he compares the, the church and gifts to the body. And he talks about all the, the, the things in the body that we take for granted and we just ignore. They're important. And instead of judging gifts by success or judging gifts by how many people are influenced or how much recognition we're getting, we judge our gifts and our ministry by one question, are we faithful? Are we faithful? And it's in the spirit of faithfulness that people begin to see Jesus in our gifts and in our ministries. Which is the whole point anyway. It's all about the Holy Spirit working in us. Paul, Paul talks here again ten times in these few verses. He talks about the Spirit. Five times he uses the word same. Verses four to six, he, he says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of ministries, but the same God. There are different ways in do, about doing the ministry, but the same God does all of it. It's about Him. And we become the church that God has called us to be, doing the ministry of the church and serving one another when we recognize that ultimately it is about surrendering to the Holy Spirit and wanting Jesus to be declared as Lord more than anything else. Sometimes it will mean putting the gifts, some of our gifts on the back burner for a while. Sometimes it will mean putting our ministries off to the side for a while. Sometimes it will mean moving forward and and, and doing something new. And sometimes it will mean doing the same thing that we've always done. It's just simply being open to the Spirit. However the Spirit moves us and leads us. When I was graduating from high school, my parents, uh, who were pastors of the church, felt a call to missions. And so, as I was graduating, I resigned the church and, and joined a mission organization. And, and so, out of the course of that, they were asked by the mission to unexpectedly move to Oregon and to operate, run the regional office there. And the, the, 
The role was to help other churches, help churches in the Northwest engage in missions, to support missionaries, to become interested in missions. And so their, their lives took on a whole new role. And so we all up and moved to Oregon. It was an interesting time, particularly for my dad, because his life changed dramatically. When he was a pastor of the church, there were a lot of things happening. He was at the center of virtually everything going on in the church. When there was a crisis, he was the one they called. When there was a celebration, he was often the one officiating. He was preaching in front of the congregation. He knew this congregation. He, there were just so many things about it where he was using his gifts and he was involved in everything that was happening and watching it. And now with this new assignment in Oregon, all of that was gone. He wasn't the pastor of a church anymore. He was, he was in a different church every week. And it was a struggle sometimes to convince churches that, that what God was doing in places of the world was important. And no one called him when there was a crisis. He wasn't asked to be the, the, to officiate at celebrations. It became, in many ways, very invisible. And, and it was a difficult transition, as you might well imagine. After five and a half years, they felt a call to the Philippines, and they spent the next 18 years working in the Philippines. And, and, and he would say, those five and a half years were so instrumental to getting them ready to go to the Philippines. But I often wonder if there wasn't something else going on as well. Because during, those, during that time in Oregon, it was transformational for my younger sister and me. We were, we were struggling with life direction and, and just sort of what was happening with our lives and what God was, was saying to us. And, and, but in the move to Oregon, we encountered some things that we wouldn't have encountered other places that dramatically changed our lives. I am quite certain that that move was one of the most foundational things that God did for me to be here today. And I am grateful. And my sister is grateful to my father for being willing to step back for a while. As hard as that was. And to, to use that experience, God, to use that experience to not only work in him, but to work in us. It's hard to know what the gifts and the ministries we're involved in, how God's going to use those. But I am convinced that God is at work and he wants to do more than we could dream or imagine if we will let him. If we will come to the gifts and the ministries that we do with the spirit of Christ, with the spirit of Sacrifice and submission and surrender and love. And to be channels and vessels of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us and in others. Father, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for the ministries that you call us to. 
Today, we want to give them all to you. We do this in the name of Christ. Amen. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.